Hey, Unchained listeners. As you know, it's hard keeping up with the fast-paced world of crypto, so we've got just the thing for you. Subscribe to our free Unchained daily newsletter at unchainedcrypto.substack.com. You'll get the latest crypto news and original articles from our reporters, as well as summaries of other happenings and bullet points, plus our meme of the day, all curated and written by our amazing team. It's still your no-hype resource for all things crypto, just in newsletter form. Sign up at unchainedcrypto.substack.com. Again, the URL is unchainedcrypto.substack.com. Hi, everyone. Welcome to Unchained, your no-hype resource for all things crypto. I'm your host, Laura Shin, a journalist with over two decades of experience. I started covering crypto five years ago, and as a senior editor at Forbes, was the first mainstream media reporter to cover cryptocurrency full-time. Subscribe to Unchained on YouTube, where you can watch the videos of me and my guests. Go to youtube.com slash C slash Unchained Podcast and subscribe today. One Inch Exchange is DeFi's leading DEX aggregator that discovers the best trade practices across all DEXs. One Inch was launched in May 2019 by two white hat hackers at ETH Global's ETH New York Hackathon. One Inch has reached almost $7 billion in overall volume in just over a year. Crypto.com, the crypto super app that lets you buy, earn, and spend crypto, all in one place. Earn up to 8.5% per year on your BTC and more than 20 other coins. Download the Crypto.com app now to find out how much you could be earning. Today's guest is Willie Wu, on-chain Bitcoin analyst and writer of The Bitcoin Forecast, a market intelligence newsletter. Welcome, Willie. Hi, Laura. Great to be back. Yeah, I am so excited to have you. I'm sure for the people watching on video, they're like, why is Laura like bursting with joy right now? <laughs> um, and so you guys, today's show is going to be all about the Bitcoin price, which has been on an absolute tear. And the reason why Billy and, or Willie, sorry, Willie and I were laughing a little bit right when we first started is because we just checked the Bitcoin price and it's very near 42K. That's <laughs> and, right. And you know, a month ago, it was at like $18,000. So anyway, I just want people to know uh, we are recording Friday morning Eastern time. So if things change between now and when this comes out on Tuesday, you will know why. All right, Willie, what's your sense of why Bitcoin has more than doubled in the last month? Well, um, <laughs> it's been quite a ride. Um, I, like, really, we had, um, I think it's a, a really a validation of Bitcoin by um, the institutions. Um, you know, we've had all manner of hedge fund managers say um, that Bitcoin is um, a valid investment at this time. We've had the likes of uh, Michael Saylor with MicroStrategy acquiring, what was it, $425 million for his own company and then buy another $650 million mm-hmm. um, on um, a bond um, raise. So uh, there's a lot of interest now from um, high net worth individuals, and I'm hearing through the grapevine that there are so many of these people that have looked at it, there are, you know, 10 to hundreds of millions in net worth, and now they need allocations. So since around um, the $22,000 mark um, of Bitcoin, which seems like a long time ago, but it was only, <laughs> what was it? It was only like five or six weeks ago. Um, it's just launched. This thing's launched. Um, the interesting thing about it is, you know, not only is the price going parabolic um, and all of the more technical traders are saying it's overheated, it's overheated, we should sell here, you should short it here. 
everything I'm seeing on chain is we sort of decompose who is buying, um, what quantities, um, you know, what's the nature of these buyers. We're seeing that these are um, high net worth, they're pulling um, large um, purchases and they're um, long-term buyers. Like, you know, I work a lot with Glassnode, which decomposes a lot of this on-chain data. And one of their latest metrics is this measurement of where are the coins moving to? Are they moving towards um, participants that are uh, long-term holders or more liquid um, participants who tend to hold it, trade it, you know, buy and sell with the swings? And what we're seeing now is this unprecedented swing to illiquid, these holders that are uh, holding um, these Bitcoins and they don't tend to um, sell so readily. And so as these coins are being bought um, and locked up by these holders and also the fact that it's not just one big institution like MicroStrategy that is sort of patiently waiting for the market to come to their their limit orders and they buy as the market sells in, you've got like all of these um, investors that are wanting to buy $1 million bullets of of investment into Bitcoin and they're competing. And as the price is rising, they're chasing it. And so it's not letting the price settle and sell into the orders. So the price is running away. It sort of runs and it gets to a point where it's a little bit too too frothy. It sort of settles for a few days in and then it launches again. So, yeah, this is the phase we're in. Um, we're what? Was it well, 41 to 42 right now? Um, that's that's kind of a resistance zone right now. The next major one is 47. Um, I was just saying to friends that with 95% certainty, 40,000 is going to break from everything being seen on chain. Um, you can see this through, you know, the, the sheer number of coins that are being bought um, with inflows of, of stable coins and um, outflows of, of Bitcoin into their wallets. Uh, so, yeah, it's a, it's a, um, it's a really uh, fun time right now. And I think we've been waiting for this for a long, long time is, is Bitcoin is and crypto people, you know. So. Yeah, yeah. To me, I was just um, talking with some people on Twitter that what's remarkable to me and why this feels like such a story is that the price is just gro- going insane. But the media attention and hype around Bitcoin is, I, I mean, not like, you know, at an all time low or anything, but, you know, considerably min- uh, minimal or relatively minimal. Um, and so that to me like signifies there's something really happening here. Okay. So you said so many things. We're going to have to unpack all of that. We're, we'll spend probably the next half an hour unpacking a lot of that. But, <laughs> but one thing that I, um, wanted to ask you about was I did see that you tweeted that based on your models, you believe we'll see what you call the double pump bull market. And I don't, I don't mm-hmm. even know what that means. Uh, okay, this is very crypto speak, you know, is a traditional world, they would say a rally. Um, Bitcoiners call them pumps, you know, and a retracement would be called a dump. So we, we <laughs> like, I, I like to use the crypto lingo. Um, so, you know, in 2013, you saw that Bitcoin um, rose. Uh, very, very sharply to um, 200 and something. And then it retraced. Down 266, to about, I think. 
Yeah, yeah. Well, it was 200 on the daily chart, which I do a lot of my studies on. It went to 230. It might have gone, I think it did go much higher, like 260 on hourly. Um, And then it retraced down to um, $66 on the daily close. So there was a big rally in the first uh, quarter of 2013, and then it retraced 70-something percent. Um, it would have been 90 percent if you looked at it from hourly peak to trough. Um, and then this thing consolidated. I think everyone thought it was you know, over. That was the bear market. But actually, that was just a big first rally, an overheated zone. It paused. It rested. And typically in these these uh, markets, um, when the price rises so quickly and it hits a certain point where someone sells and it, it sets a cascade of people selling thinking, oh, no, this was overheated, it was a bubble, the thing comes back down and what you're looking for is whether a lower value gets tested and rejected. And if it's rejected, you'll see that a lot of buyers come in and they buy that asset up very, very quickly and it, it bounces back up. Um, and then you get these sort of waves that happen up, down, up, down until this whole thing sort of settles and all the froth leaves. And then what you want to really see is, um, are we going to dip again? And if it dips again, then we've started a bear cycle. But if it starts to climb up again, that whole overheated zone and that consolidation of testing that lower range and seeing if it was supported by new buyers if that starts to come up again, then that whole thing was just, um, we're just settling. It just got a little bit overheated, but we're just settling. And um, now we've got new buyers coming in again. And so in 2013, we did have um, two rallies and a double pump bull season um, to two, the 200s and then on to the 1200s. And, um, you know, interestingly, in 2017, Ethereum did the same thing. This is what happens, I think, is is when um, you see a lot of money coming into a smallish asset. Um, Ethereum really was just launched in 2016 as a, a floated asset that could be tradable. And, 2015. You know, we had 2015? Okay. 2015. Yep. <laughs> you know better. The ICO was 2014. <laughs> it was floated one year later in 2015. Um, and then in 2017, we had the, the main bull run. And the whole world came into that. And Ethereum was a very small asset at its time. Um, and, of course, it rallied um, from, what was it? Was it in the 20s to the 1500s or something? Um, at- I think it started 2016 um, at, like, around $10 or $7, something like that. And then, yeah, a year later, it was at, like, 1400 on one particular day. <laughs> Yeah, that's right. I've got the chart now. It's um, We kind of settled, you know, we settled down. It sort of had to shake off the Dow hack. And then 2017 started at around $10. And then, you know, we had a major bull run of all of crypto. Bitcoin started to run and all of this capital came in in 2017. And you saw that Ethereum also did the double pump bull market, right? It, it went straight up. And I'm looking on the chart now and it went to... 350. It didn't pull back much. It dropped to one, you know, relatively speaking, 150. Uh, it pulled back to 150 and then it ran on to, um, you know, 
1400 and and so <laughs> you get these you, and you then, actually and see then it just so people know then after that it dipped below 100 <laughs> I, I forget yeah, when that happened yeah you gotta, you gotta uh, 2019 or something yeah yeah 2018 to 20 to this i think it was the tail end of 2018 that was the the end of the bear but you know the main thing is you see like you've got all of this capital inflow into a smallish asset and this thing goes wee and it squeezes it up <laughs> to the point it, can, it can't take the capital and it runs up so high and then suddenly it has to sort of find itself again and, and shake out the heatedness and then it goes again. And, mm-hmm. you know, and Bitcoin did that five times in its first, um, the first bull run. Um, way back in the, um, what was it, like the 2011, sort of 2010, 2011 run-ups. Um, so these assets sort of squeeze up, go wee, and then they consolidate, and then they go up again. And and so it's interesting to see how much Bitcoin's going to go wee and riding it up right now. And, um, you know, I'm looking at the on-chain capital flows, and they're just, you know, ridiculously high ridiculously high right now um this amount of capital flow compared to what bitcoin is as an asset class as an asset in itself is again similar to like uh, maybe ethereum being introduced to the world as an investment um and now we're seeing bitcoin introduced to the world um the institutional world which is then given the blessing to you know there must be uh, someone will have the figures of how many family offices there are worldwide, but it's not insubstantial. And if you can think of them all buying one to two million dollars allocation, um, that's a lot of money coming in. And so, why do you say that? You know, that's who it is, and that's the amount. Is it just from conversations with um, different, you know, desks, or how are you figuring that out? It's it's both. It's co- it's it's conversation to people in the in the family office in high net worth strata, um, and they're saying all their friends are all finally coming in and saying I need to get an allocation for my portfolio. Uh, but I, m- the main part of this, um, where I get the certainty, is I'm seeing that capital flow coming in on chain. I can see the um, the value of withdrawals on exchanges increasing. And, and that both could signify institutions. But then we can look at um, the clusters of wallets that um, the, the wallet addresses. Um, you can do some forensics on it and you can notice, noticeably see um, wallets that are or addresses that are controlled by a single participant. And what we're seeing is there's a, a large growth in whales. You know, I, I kind of joke that it's whale spawning season. There's a lot of high net worth kind of owner. It's not corporation scale where you're talking tens of thousands of Bitcoins that are being held. It's one, the, the number of whales that hold a thousand Bitcoins or more is skyrocketing. And so are the, the smaller, um, you know, allocations around the 100, 250. That, that, that's a very, very, you know, telltale sign that we've got a lot of participants that are individual um, coming in that are, um, just buying, you know, and we haven't seen them appear before. And so when you talk about like what you're looking at on chain, um, you're saying it's like purchases or, or even when you look at, you know, what's happening on exchanges and you say lots of withdrawals, you mean that you're seeing activity where money's coming in, but then 
the Bitcoins are just being held and they're not changing hands. They're not being traded. And there there's just basically no movement after their purchase is at. Yeah, higher. that's yeah, that's a, that's another lens of it. Um, so, you know, right now we're what we can see is there's definite um, clustering of Bitcoin addresses that are being owned by single people or, um, you know, participants. They could be a, you know, holding company, but these, there's lots of them and they're, they're, they're popping up and buying Bitcoin and holding large amounts. And then we're also seeing the nature of these participants. We can look into them and classify them as being, um, buy and holders that they usually coins come in and they don't usually sell versus the more um, trader type profile of participant where you see coins come in and they leave. And so you can um, classify the, the, the liquid guys, the trader types as um, participants that are um, liquid and the, the participants that are tend to be holders, you classify them as illiquid. And then you look for the coin movements between these two types of participants. The net flows of it is more of the coins now being dominated or moving towards the trader guys that are going to sell the tops, or are you going to you seeing these coins start to move towards the participants that are the holding, you know, um, the ones that are like, getting an allocation, they're probably balancing their portfolio for different risks across many asset classes. So we're seeing um, coins move to these holders. And then to go back to what we were talking about with the, you know, double pumps and, and whatever, Adam Draper at Boost VC, he describes this as like Bitcoin moving in these like breathing cycles where it sort of like inhales I guess, new investors, and then it kind of settles and then it like takes another breath. But each time in between kind of the new happy medium is like at a higher level than than previously. And I saw you have like a way of kind of breaking down these Bitcoin cycles into stages. So what are the stages and what stage do you think we're at right now? Okay, so I we obviously there's the bear cycle, which is where the, you know, there's the long sell off that typically lasts for Bitcoin and crypto as a whole one year. And then normally the thing to to end the bear cycle is capitulation. You'll see the sudden sharp drop and that's the absolute bottom um, peak fear. Everyone's, it says it's over. This is gone. Um, so then, then what you see is a sort of flat band um, where the, the smart investors come in and they put a floor on the price because they're quietly accumulating. So whenever someone sells down, the investors come in and buy. The accumulators buy, buy, buy. And that, that stops the price dropping. And that's you'll see a, a solid horizontal band in price after this sharp spike downwards. You'll see the price, you know, grab along the bottom with a few waves. And then um, it sort of breaks out of that and it breaks out into a early bull phase. Um, and we we kind of had that, the capitulation happened in December 2018. Um, and then we had a, a rather short accumulation um, compared to the previous cycle. Um, and then by April Fool's Day <laughs> um, in 2019, that was when we had this cr- crazy break out of it and it ran up. Um, and so that was the early bull phase. Um, so I call it the early 
bull phase. I, I, I consider the bull phase into three parts. So the first phase is that, that breakout and there's this sort of excitement again. Um, and then that dies down um, and we kind of have this um, phase where it, it sort of quietens, it goes downwards, sideways, downwards, sideways. And this this is what we call a reaccumulation phase of the market. And in that phase, um, a different type of investor, not the one that accumulates the bottom, it's the one that sees that we are now in an uptrend and they come in and buy. And it's in that phase that you and at least in the Bitcoin world where we have very, very good metrics, unlike, you know, stock markets or gold, um, we've got on-chain analytics to show, oh, the the inventory that is sitting on um, the the spot exchanges, um, the inventory on them, it, it starts to deplete. And and when you see that depletion, that's that's it's a good sign that we're in the um the tail end of the first phase of the bull market. It's it's you'll see these buyers start to buy those coins and move them off off the off the exchanges into their wallets. And we had that that reaccumulation, which signaled the end of the the um, the early stage of the bull market around. Um, well, actually, around the time MicroStrategy bought um, around the twenty two thousand, which was only um, no, like in early December. The, it was actually December, around the twenty thousand mark. Actually, I'm, I'm looking at the charts right now. That was that was where um, we were starting to end the the early bull phase. And what I like to see um, to define the next phase, which is the main bull run, is after that depletion finishes, and then there's this run where we see a relatively smooth upward climb without any choppiness of going downwards. And you also see the the capital flows that are going into Bitcoin start to go vertical, and there's a very strong amount of investor capital coming into Bitcoin. And this we can measure as well through um, the, through the blockchain. So and have we entered that phase yet? Because I mean, it looks pretty vertical to me. And you did tweet this morning. So actually, I I also didn't understand this tweet. So maybe you can explain this. You tweeted about something that you were calling Fibonacci traces. By the way, I'm like mm-hmm. super into fractals and, and that kind of thing. So I was like excited <laughs> about this. I was like, oh, I have to learn about this. Um, and you wrote, when there's no historic resistance levels, magic numbers mm-hmm. in nature is all we have for support and resistance bands. So also, I, you know, I'm not a trader. I don't follow the t- mm-hmm. TA technical analysis stuff, but I have gleaned support means like, it's not going to fall below a certain level and resistance is like, it's going to be hard for it to get past that mm-hmm. level. But anyway, mm-hmm. then you wrote Bitcoin is in unrestrained price discovery in unchart- uncharted territory, literally, which that mm-hmm. sounds kind of interesting. So what do you mean by that? Okay. So, um, you know, you think of the markets as essentially a whole bunch of traders that are coming in and they're buying or selling. Um, and the, essentially through that action, there's a price discovery um, process. So you'll, if you look on, a, on a, a price chart of any asset, you'll often see these, these patterns and a, a trade, a, a trained um, trader with a lot of experience will just It'll just pop. You go, this price is reaching a level where in the past um, traders have rejected that price. They've sold it, you know, and it had trouble hitting. It hit that that level and it got always got sold down or the price 
conversely, if it's going downwards, 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 and then it hits a level where in the history of this price, you see that it was always bought up. So now you've got a, um, a resistance line and now a support line. And, and the price chart is full of these because we're always range bound exploring the price and we'll always look back to the prior um, resistance or support levels to give us a, a kind of a probability of are we going to slice through the resistance or are we going to reject off it and then um, have to find some sort of support level. And and so um, the, the price chart ends up being quite a um, semi-pattern, semi-random walk around these um, price levels that historically people have supported or rejected and so there's this one thing that happens in the in it's a it's a very very exciting event when an asset breaks its prior all-time high and so now you're in literal uncharted territory because you can go back on the charts and there's no resistances there's no history in though no history in this asset that will reject the price. You'll go, well, Bitcoin is now 42,000. Let's go back the last 12 years of Bitcoin. When was the last time it hit 42,000? Did we find a resistance level that was rejected? Well, no, there's no resistance. So we're in outer space. This price just rallies upwards. Um, or And not many people want to sell into that because we don't have any history to see, oh, it was rejected off 50,000 back in this year. There's no one has seen that before. So no one really wants to sell into this. And so there's very little resistance. Um, and so the only things that we can really do to find targets is um, magic numbers. Uh, so we can do the Fibonacci series um, and that's the golden ratio and the ancient sort of like, was it spiral life sort of patterns you see? It turns out people have um, used these numbers to create levels and you can throw these traces and it just looks like a, a whole bunch of um, different spaced um, horizontal lines um, from one level to the next. And you can put them over the chart and they tend to work even when we're range bound within you know, prior explored price, um, they they do work. So a lot of traders use this, but uh, now we're in uncharted territories. The only thing we can put on a chart is um, Fibonacci traces, and these are just um, what these patterns of nature give us. And traders will trade to it, and they are um, they are certainly working. Um, they always work in in these kind of areas and somewhat maybe a self-fulfilling prophecy but uh yeah the next um i think forty thousand was it forty thousand was the last resistance which we just sliced through just a, a few hours ago um, and so now um it's i have to look at the chart what was it it's um the way i've laid it yeah forty thousand four hundred was the was the last resistance. We've started to move off that. So 46,800. So say 47,000 is the next level. And certainly there's a lot of bullish on-chain um, pressure, buying pressure to push it there. And there's not a lot to push against. Um, <laughs> there's, there's not a lot of sellers. We're in outer space. So um, it's, it's, it's obviously a very, very exciting time. Um, 
Well, so one other thing that I wanted to ask about while we're talking about kind of like, well, I don't know if price target is really the word, um, but so in the middle of December, you tweeted that Bitcoin was at the point where the BTC top cap model starts curving upward. Mm-hmm. And you said that at that trajectory, the ridiculously low target was $100,000. So why don't you first explain what the BTC top cap model is, but then also, you know, explain how you uh, get to that. 100,000 or, or if it's changed since you tweeted it? Oh, yeah, it's constantly changing. Um, so essentially the top, the, the top cap model is a model um, that uses the theory of mean reversion. And in simple language, what that means is that it's a theory that um, a price of an asset always reverts to the long-term average of the, the entire history of the data set. So essentially, if you're a trader, um, mean reversion is as simple as trading on a moving average. You know, 128 moving average tends to be a support level of Bitcoin. And whenever it hits that, it bounces. 200-day moving average is sort of the, when we cross that, that, that tells us we're in a bull phase. And when it gets too high above the 200-day moving average, People might say it's overheated, and I think Trace Mayer is well known to create the Mayer multiple, which measures how far we're above that 200-day moving average as a sign as overvalued, undervalued. So that's day-to-day mean reversion um, playing out. And so um, I built a model um, a while back which uses the same um, basics of averaging. And so... If you do an average of the price and you, it's a cumulative average of um, Bitcoin's entire price history. So it's not like a 200-day moving average. It's a forever moving average from the day Bitcoin floated on the first day of trade to today. And that, that window of averaging continues to average out. And you um, use that, that metric. You can use that to find all the tops. You can multiply that by 35. It's just a magic number. Um, and it has hit every single historic top in the history of Bitcoin. Don't ask me why. I do think maybe it's because Bitcoin is a machine. It's very mechanical. There's set halvening. There's set supply. Um, the demand is relatively um, constant through the 12 years. And so um, that creates a top. And the current top price today is um, 94 $4,000 and when you plot this sort of arc as it starts to curve and wiggle through time um, you always see in the bull market starts arcing upwards and you can you can take an estimate of the trajectory it's arcing um, we don't know how it'll trade through the next um, 12 months but uh, you can gauge it from historical sort of movements of Bitcoin price and Make a guess of where the arc's going. If we don't arc, if we don't arc upwards, and we assume the top of the bull market is around December this year, which you know it's a it's a fair estimate because all the bull market tops of the last two cycles has been around the December, just before um, tax season. We we're we're, we're going to go above a hundred thousand, even if it doesn't arc upwards. If we arc upwards, and we're up to two to three hundred thousand um, conservatively. I mean, given the size of this rally, it's gonna it's gonna push it higher. <laughs> so wait, two hundred to three hundred k over what time period? 
over the next, um, by December this year. Wow. <laughs> yeah. Wow. So, so like um, Plan B's um, very well known for his stock to flow ratio. Yeah, it's he's a, a it's Twitter a nice... anonym, anonymous Bitcoin researcher or analyst. Yes, yes, that's right. So he's, he's very famous for this um, stock to flow um, model of predicting price. And um, he's got many models. Um, I think the, the highest one of that is, um, is it 250,000? And Right now, the trajectory is on track with the top cap model. It'll be an interesting one because the top cap was hit in 2013 in that double pump bull run. And the first rally hit the top cap and it retraced, and then it consolidated and it went up again against the, that, that ceiling, um, which obviously was a lot higher by, by the, second, um, the second pump. Uh, right now, if we're going to do a double pump, it's ninety fourth, ninety five thousand dollars right now. If we hit that that um, that ceiling, maybe we're halfway there. With in terms of price, forty forty two thousand, we're getting pretty close to a halfway point. Yeah, um, and it's moving very very fast. I mean, oh yeah. Well, I mean, <laughs> end of January, we're, we're going to be a, a, a Bitcoin's going to be a one trillion dollar. Um, it's on track to be exceeding $1 trillion um, by that's, I think that's a $55,000 mark. We're, we're, we're on track to breaking that we're very quickly. Um, and that's a very interesting mark in the sand. Because, oh, yeah. You know, all of our major asset buckets, whether it's gold, whether it's stock, whether it's real estate, they're all measured in um, trillion dollar buckets. And Bitcoin's always been like, a little toy um, being sub $1 trillion. So um, it's a significant event, I, I think. Yeah. All right. So in a moment, we're going to talk about other significant events in Bitcoin. Um, but first, a quick word from the sponsors who make this show possible. Crypto.com, the crypto super app that lets you buy, earn and spend crypto all in one place. Earn up to 8.5% per year on your BTC. Download the Crypto.com app now to see the interest rates you could be earning on BTC and more than 20 other coins. Once in the app, you can apply for the Crypto.com metal card, which pays you up to 8% cash back instantly. Reserve yours now in the Crypto.com app. OneInch is a decentralized exchange aggregator that sources liquidity from the top DEXs and liquidity sources to save users money and time on swaps. OneInch is capable of finding the best possible trading paths and splitting them among multiple market depths. Recently, the OneInch team unveiled OneInch version 2. The main highlights of V2 are Pathfinder, an API that contains a new discovery and routing algorithm, and a new intuitive user-friendly UI. The V2 improvements ensure the best rates on swaps while dramatically cutting response time. Back to my conversation with Willy Wu. So speaking of significant events, um, one thing that was so curious to me is throughout this whole discussion, we have not mentioned once the pandemic. And I just wondered if for you, you know, you see any effect from that uh, in the Bitcoin price or if it's actually really not that relevant. Yeah, the pandemic was very relevant to Bitcoin's price. You know, on the outset is everyone who follows the price closely will note a week prior um, to the, well, as this pandemic was starting to roll out across the world, um, we had price of Bitcoin, you know, it had reached um, just over $10,000 and it started to pull back 
over the, the successive um, couple of weeks. And then this whole, you know, we call it a white swan, you know, unpredictable. we say this is an unpredictable event that wasn't in any of the risk models. Um, that's a black swan, but because the pandemic is actually, um, you know, there's a history of roughly every 100 years there's a pandemic. There is some data. So we call it a white swan, but it caught most of the world by but, um, you know, um, by surprise, and um, the price actually caved down to the four thousand range instantly, and that's what we call a flight to safety. Everyone reassesses their um, their risk models, so they get out of every single position. There's absolute panic selling. They sell gold, they sell stocks, they sell all of their leverage trades and everything, and they go to the safe haven, which is US dollars, and they park in US dollars. And then they redeploy back into assets that make sense for the new um, the new world that's ahead. You know, they change the, the risk models have changed, and you recalculate those and you deploy accordingly. And so um, you'll see this in the two thousand eight world financial crisis. You know, gold, for example, was the perfect safe haven for that time, and it did rally for the next three or so years, but it also sold off because everyone sells. Um, in that in that flight to safety and and Bitcoin did in the COVID crash also. So um, I, I like to say Bitcoin went from ten thousand to four thousand to ten thousand over that bump as people reassessed their risks and then redeployed. But the 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 unheard of story and the more interesting one to me is that this was also the point where we saw vast amounts of Bitcoin being accumulated and pulled off the inventory sitting on exchanges. And, you know, that was the sign of the reaccumulation that I talked about earlier. Uh, but this amount of inventory being accumulated off the, uh, this amount of inventory being pulled off the exchanges was two times deeper and two times longer, it took 10 months to, to complete than any other, you know, the prior cycle. And what that did was it moved the floor price of Bitcoin higher and higher and higher until it, it squeezed. And it, the, the Bitcoin price was trading sideways at that point, and people said this thing was a failed safe haven, and it's a risk-on asset. You invest in it as a risky asset, it's not a safe haven. Um, and actually, if you look at the on-chain data, it was saying and screaming, this is a safe haven and lots of long-term buyers are coming in to scoop it up and hold it as the safe haven. Um, but you couldn't see that in price because the price was highly speculative and we had a lot of um, buffer between that floor price that these investors were supporting and the um the random wonder of price resistance and supports that traders um, are speculating on. And so there's a lot of movement in that until the price floor comes up and squeezes you out. And you see that in the accumulation phase of the bottom of the bear, and we saw that happen after COVID, and that was the start of this bull run, that this phase of the bull run we saw. Um, and so just to um, make sure that I'm understanding correctly, 
basically what you're saying is there's a lot of people who have Bitcoin who don't necessarily have conviction in it. And they were selling on these exchanges, just trying to make money on the price swings. But meanwhile, for 10 and a half months, you had these people with conviction about Bitcoin who were buying on the exchanges and moving that money over to their cold wallets or their cold storage. And so you could see that there was this kind of like period where people were turning to it as a safe haven. But because there was like enough of the... um uh, the people who were just kind of trying to trade on the swings and who didn't have conviction about it, like it took a while to deplete that amount of inventory. But when it did, that's why the price rose so quickly. Is that what you're saying? Yeah, more or less. Um, we we have, you know, Bitcoin is a very, very liquid asset. It's traded on um, futures exchanges to the billions per day. And so it's a great game for speculators to play and very profitable for some. And it moves in a random walk. When COVID happened, the you know, if, as Michael Saylor said, he took a look at the he look at he took a look at the world, and so much money is being printed that um, essentially everything's being inflated away at fourteen percent per annum. Anything you want to hold, whether it's a car, whether it's a um, you know Harvard education, the price is going up by fourteen percent per annum, and he was looking for a a way to um, hedge against, you know, all of his cash being um, inflated away. And this is the um, the dilemma that many investors have is where do you move your, your assets to in a way that you can outperform that inflation? And that's 14% is calculated by um, MicroStrategy. And so um, interestingly, the timing of as it was about right if you wind back the clock from when MicroStrategy accumulated their first deployment into Bitcoin and you go back six months, which is what Michael Saylor was known to have said is the time frame in which a publicly traded company needs to go through its entire board approval, regulatory approval, ECC approval, um, and actually implement that, that purchase. It is six months. And that six months is um, right at the point of around that COVID crash and also um, mm. where we saw that inventory depletion. And so I think there might have been just a number of um, very high net worth individuals thinking about the markets in that way. Um, and I, I'm sure that um, CEOs of publicly traded companies and their board of directors who are researching this are, uh, um, some of the most well-networked um, people in society. So I don't think that it was just um, like those guys that bought it. Um, I think that it was that entire network um, of people that was spreading the word as here's this, you know, new kind of inflation protection candy that um, <laughs> that <laughs> you can come and get. So. Well, one other thing, speaking of people who are well-networked, I was kind of disturbed because you have this chart that shows what you believe to be an accumulation of Bitcoin by whales in the days leading up to the news that the OCC, the Office of the Control of the Currency, will now permit banks to use public blockchains and dollar stablecoins for settlement. You know, can you explain why you think that that was the catalyst for that? Well, for starters, um, it's a it's a huge win for this entire industry because now um, the U.S. government has the U.S. Treasury has okayed that 
banks can now use these public ledgers um, as as infrastructure for banking. With the likes of uh, regulated stable coins like USDC by Circle, that that's regulated. There's there's nothing to stop a bank from using that stable coin from transmitting um, US dollars around the world, cross border or to each other within the country in you know, 16 seconds is the block time for Ethereum that it runs on. If you've got that kind of infrastructure that banks can use, um, I think that if you consider that Bitcoin is, or crypto in, in itself is, if you've got USDC, it's a hop and a step to get to um, to buy Ethereum, to buy Bitcoin, to buy any of the leading coins. And you've got DeFi networks that, that take it on Ethereum and you can swap it into anything. It's, it's literally seconds away from being Bitcoin compared to, you know, you can imagine all of the stories of, you know, friends or friends of friends who um, are trying to figure out how to buy this thing and they're trying to send money to a bank and they're trying to send it to Coinbase and working all that out. Like now it's, it's a lot more fluid when um, there's a prominence of stable coins that are being run um, by banks and supported by banks. So that's a huge win. And we saw a huge price breakout when that was released and there was a front well, running of the price. Oh, right. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. It was, uh, it was, it was, I think it was 23,000 and then this thing launched and it launched, um, ridiculously. Um, and I was like, wow, okay. Um, there's no insider trading rules for for Bitcoin. So someone's in the know. <laughs> um, so anyway, that was quite fun to see. Yeah, well, a little bit disturbing. I mean, technically, it's not insider trading, but it's the same behavior just with a different asset that that rule doesn't apply to. Mm, yes, yes, that's true. That's true. Yeah. Well, so speaking of stable coins, though, um, you do have some analysis about looking at stable coin. I can't speak stable coin <laughs> inflows to exchanges. So, what can you extrapolate about the Bitcoin price from what you're seeing there? There are very good indicators for local uh, movements. Um, generally, you know, a lot of stuff we look on chain um, they, they they differ um, from the timeframes that they can operate from, and the lower timeframe stuff. We just look at capitals go, capital flows going into and out of exchanges. Um, you want to see fiat going in and you want to see Bitcoin and Ethereum and all the other coins move out. If Bitcoins are moving out and, and money is moving in, well, that's a clear buy signal. And obviously we can't see the banking wires into exchanges, but we can see stable coins um, being minted and being sent to exchanges to buy and so uh, that's, that turns out to be a very good indicator, particularly USDC currently. Um, so it's also... More so than something like Tether, you mean? That's right. Tether, Tether used to be quite good with it, but now in this current phase, um, uh, Circle, USDCs are um, a much better signal. And that tells me the buying is by regulated um, entities and most likely um, US-based. Uh, so the, and actually the buying is coming. Um, but you'll see the, 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 the price rallies more during US trading hours than Asian trading hours. So there's a fair signature to say that we're getting a lot of buying um, from that USD sig signal. Um, and we're also seeing that that's, that's most likely US 
entities. Um, so my guess is it's those US family offices that are buying it right now. And so we've been talking about different kinds of on-chain analysis throughout the show, but are there any factors that we haven't looked at that you would want to mention? Well, there's one um, actually that I know you've talked about, coin movements, which I actually didn't even know what that was. Is that, are you talking about coin movements that are like number of transactions or is that dollar amount or like, how are you defining that? um it's a um it's a a kind of amorphous mix of um i'm looking at the supply of bitcoin and and looking at how active that is in moving um from compared from day to day so there's no actual unit of account no unit there of to speak of and it, it is it is kind of a, a proprietary um signal that i use i i published it a lot publicly um but yeah, it, it sense, it's sensing the um, how much of the network of Bitcoin's network its supply is actually moving from day to day compared to you know a month ago, and, and it turns out that these the supply um, moves in impulses. You know, you'll see these impulses, and um, the trick is to go when you see these impulses, you know there's an activity on chain, and usually it's going to shove the price in one price vector, whether it's from up to horizontal or horizontal to down or up to down or up to even more up. And so I use that as a, as a key indicator to um, structurally whether the, the asset is going to change direction in price vector. And there's a lot of extra investigation I have to do whenever I see one of those impulses to go which direction and who's pushing it and, and whatnot. But um, those coins changing hands is, kind of the, the the tempo and the beat of the price action that I see on chain and, and they happen every between three to six weeks and and right now the the latest tweet I think you saw was um, a very large impulse and you know really it's the mother of all impulses for this cycle and normally they're sharp impulses but this one was like very steep very high and then it didn't drop (laughs) and it just got bigger and fatter and wider and it's still big and it hasn't let up yet so it's it's a big shove and you know we're we're seeing that play out right now is this this tiny little assets being propelled upwards in a sheer vertical wall as that coin impulses is pushing it like it's never had a push before (laughs) so um yeah um all right well let's also talk about like maybe the most well-known um, way to value Bitcoin, I think, the NVT ratio, which is network value to transaction ratio. Can mm-hmm. you define that for people who don't know what that is and then say what you're seeing when you look at that metric now? Okay, so um, I think most investors are, are very very familiar with the price earnings ratio for stocks, um, where you take a look at the price of the stock and you look at its earnings per share and you run a ratio. So you kind of get an idea of its its valuation next to the underlying um, earnings activity from this business. And of course, these decentralized networks don't actually, they are not businesses, they don't generate income, but they, they're, they're, they're purely um, investor assets um, like gold, for example. So um, what we can measure on the blockchain is the amount of investment activity that is happening. And 
the, the price in accordance to it. And so we do get the equivalent of a price earnings ratio for Bitcoin and Ethereum and, and these networks. And like this one, this one I came up with in 2016, I think I published around that or 2017, the start of it. And it was, it was one of our very first on-chain um, signals for buy or sell. Um, when MVT is, is low, that would tell you that there's um, a lot of, um, so MVT stands for network value, which is the market cap, the valuation, compared to the transaction volume, the investment volume going through the blockchain. And so when you see MVT being low, that's signaling a very um, high amount of investment volume moving through the blockchain and, and when it's comp- as compared to the price. And so um, it's like right a buy now, signal. Yeah, it's in a, it's a, currently there's immense amounts of on-chain invest activity, crazy amounts of it, and um, the price is not that high compared to that activity. So the ratio of price is not that high compared to the investors moving coins around. And, and, and wait, and just for the um, value of the transaction, transactions on the network is that denominated in dollars you can you can do the ratio of volume you can do the volume um going through the blockchain per day compared to its market cap that's how that's a simple way of calculating it or simple way of thinking about it and that calculation works if you were to um you know streamline the calculation it just turns out to be um how much the coins are churning compared to its supply. And but, then, that, but then is that the number of transactions? No, it's the volume. It's You can say the US dollar, you could say the US dollar value moving through the blockchain versus the market cap. Okay. But if you were a technical analyst like me, you'd say you can solve that equation to um, saying that is actually inverse monetary velocity. <laughs> so how much of the oh. money supply is churning? So you could even do it like in the number of BTC. Yeah, so I can oh, say that's there's eighteen and a half. There's eighteen and a half million BTC, and this is how many BTCs that was transacted. Transacted, and that's also the same thing. Um, oh wow! Okay. So it turns out the but, higher okay. the. Sorry, I just feel like the ratio would be quite different when the price is changing, right? Or am I no? Uh, I get, well, right, because the so market. Yeah, never divide, mind. Yeah, because yeah, so yeah, exactly. Exactly. You right. divide by the price. And you get the coins and you divide right. <laughs> by the volume, by the price, and you get how many coins as well. Yeah. So um, both solve to the same thing. And so if you think of it in a more abstracted way as, as monetary velocity, how much of the money supply of Bitcoin is churning? Um, that's how much how much is moving b- between investors. That That's actually all it is. And MVT is inverse monetary velocity. And the more velocity you get in this thing, um, the higher the valuation, um, the higher the velocity, the better, um, which is which is very healthy for the for the um, the network, and and it always turns out whenever you see this high velocity, which is a low MVT, it drives the bull market, and we're we've been in that low zone for um, a while now since the COVID crash. So it seems the COVID crash, the bottom of the COVID crash made us hit the the buy signal on MVT and it's on the and this latest drive upwards with that immense amount of investment coming from 
you know, the, the family offices and that I, I mentioned earlier were, were once again kissing the buy zone. Um, so I guess I'm confused because I would think if it were a low velocity, then that would make the number go up, right? Because then it would, right? Because low velocity is like people buying, but then moving it to cold storage and not, not trading it anymore. Whereas high velocity would be like, like people constantly selling and buying, right? Yeah, um, I think it's it's kind of counterintuitive. We are talking about the total supply, and what actually what you do see, um, if for example, if you were to um, get all of these um, holders that are long term, and they come in and buy, um, and then they they move it off the market and they become a liquid. What you see is low velocity. This is true. And what happens is there's less volume that needs to to be um, traded between in investors to move the price because so much of it's locked up. Um, that is true. Um, and so what, you, what you'll see is these oscillations from um, low and high NVT, low, low and high being the, the buy and sell, those oscillations still happen, but they um, they start drifting. As more gets scooped up and locked away, um, you'll start to see um, MVT start to drift higher and higher and higher, but they oscillate. And you'll see that in the main chart of um, MVT that is on my site. You'll see that it is oscillating, but it is drifting higher. And um, that's, that's actually a consequence of people buying and locking up, but it's also a consequence of a lot of coins now moving to exchanges and being held by um, like retail who never actually move it off into their personal um, on-chain wallets. And mm. so that looks like um, all of this volume a- a- is being locked up, um, but it's just that it's not visible on the blockchain and you'll see that drifting higher. Okay. Well, one thing um, that was really, really interesting to me, um, and I think this is why uh, kind of like the whole story of cryptocurrency is so exciting and interesting to me, um, because I just feel like these assets are like a completely new thing that hasn't been seen before in history. And this one tweet of yours, I feel like captured that in a certain way. You said, um, well, you talked about how um, investors and tech VCs have different mindsets. Um, so what would you say um, is the mindset? Well, first of all, describe the two mindsets, but then say what which of those mindsets people should have when it comes to Bitcoin and why. Okay. So, um, you know, if you're coming from a traditional world and you're investing in these assets is, um, you know, like you, you want to buy an asset where you think it's undervalued and you want to sell it when um, it reaches, you know, the high point of, it's, you know, bull or bear cycle, whether it's real estate, you know, we always want to buy the bottom of the market for the houses when no one wants to actually buy, you buy it. And then when the market's really, really frothy, maybe you sell that. And that's the mindset of a lot of traditional assets. And these are assets at saturation. They've had centuries of developing and um, they oscillate. And then you have this other type of Asset, which is what Bitcoin, Ethereum, and these these digital networks represent, and they are these assets that are they're new to the world, and these are new technologies that are um, gaining adoption. And we, in new technology, always goes through this adoption curve of 
we call it the adoption S curve where it goes and it goes and it creates this kind of S as it sort of goes exponentially upwards. And as you get closer to the 50%, it slows down until you eventually get to saturation at near 100% usage. And so we'll see that in the tech world with, with the internet, you'll see it with mobile phones, you'll see it with any new technology. And so the realm of investment for people who invest in new technology, and these are our venture capitalists, um, they know how to invest in new tech and they never sell the tops. They buy the tops. And this is the view that one should have with Bitcoin. Um, it's a newer technology and currently there's only somewhere around the 1.9% of the world population that, had ex- that has exposure to this asset. And if you believe that the internet is going to go to 100%, um, which it's pretty close to now, and you believe that we're going to have internet-native commerce and there will be an internet-native currency that is borderless and an internet-native store of value, then, or in the case of um, Ethereum, actually applications that can route money and risk across the world, these um, tokens are only at the 2% penetration of the world population. And so when you see an asset break an all-time high, you've got the choice to sell it because this asset is is really um, made you a profit. Or you can say that asset is um, just had another um, validation that it is coming in to dominate the world. You know, if you were given a choice, would you buy the asset that is um, – broken at all-time low and it's a new technology and it's continually making new lows and it's meant to dominate the world, it's obviously gone off the adoption S-curve. So whenever you see this thing break a new high, it is gaining more traction and it's being validated and you should buy it and you should sell it when it reaches saturation. When when Bitcoin is used by the majority of the world, um, then that's probably a good time to sell it. But um, just keep buying those tops. And it, this strategy actually works in a backtrace. If you measure that and, and run that strategy for Bitcoin, it is way more profitable than trying to get these oscillations. All right. Well, so speaking of tech, um, you said before you don't really cover Ethereum. And last I spoke with you on Unconfirmed, you did, however, say at that time that you thought ETH could uh, change in terms of you know, whether or not it's kind of like an interesting asset to invest in. If Ethereum Improvement Proposal 1559 goes through, which is the one where transaction fees will be burned and that could potentially make ETH deflationary. Mm-hmm. Um, and since then, we've seen Ethereum 2.0 launch. It does look like EIP 1559 should happen. What is your take on Ethereum for the foreseeable future? In the in the short term, um, I'm quite excited with it because just on these um, just like all time highs, it's it's about to break one, and we've talked about the sort of outer space price discovery. So Bitcoin's doing that right now. Ethereum is about to unleash its um, uh, 
its price discovery into outer space. Um, so it's it's an it's a really exciting time for Ethereum as a as a tradable asset, and I think it's you know we'll have to see. Like I I haven't been so excited with Ethereum as the platform. I know a lot of I know a lot of developers are, and that's not to be discounted because there's a lot of frothiness and and excitement, and that 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 will drive and has driven application development, and we've seen. The, the really great stuff that's being developed on DeFi, I think it's the great experiments right now. Um, so, yeah, that, that's, let's see what happens. Um, we need to see how well this thing scales, how well um, these apps can operate with each other on the, on the, the more scalable platform. But it's, it's an exciting space. Um, these, these competitors, of course, and the, the question is whether or not um, – my, the big question I have for Ethereum is Ethereum going to be the global uh, development stack in which you will build the risk infrastructure for the planet to route. Um, essentially, I look at the the world financial market as just essentially computer programs or contracts that route money and risk between participants. And Ethereum is, is the asset to route um primarily risk with the DeFi. And the question is, will app developers only develop on Ethereum or will it develop on Solana? Will it develop on um, Cosmo? So, like there's, there's an all number of Ethereum killers out there that that um, are, are competing for this, this these, the app space. And with if you look at the history of computers and and how things have developed, you'll notice that um, we we haven't actually, you know, focused on one development platform. Like you look at any app, there's all number of development platforms and application environments that we run on. Um, and so, and each one is fit for a purpose. So I, I do wonder whether or not it'll be like a, a menagerie of different um, networks um, that will eventually fill um, the space as we get towards that you know, the whole carrying the world's real financial um, infrastructure. And so that, that's that's a question to ask. Um, so we've definitely, it's the leader right now and it's an exciting time for the asset. But if we were to look at it over the next 10 years as world infrastructure gets digitized onto the internet, we'll, we'll have to see how that plays out. Yeah, well, actually, you know, when you were saying that you wondered if Ethereum would be the global development stack, I thought you were going to say settlement layer. Because of this thing with the OCC allowing banks to use uh, blockchain networks and stable coins. And, you know, we're already seeing a lot of Bitcoin coming to Ethereum. And, um, <laughs> mm, yeah, yeah, exactly. It's that is what it's essentially doing is wrapping, right? We're wrapping US dollars onto Ethereum. We're wrapping Bitcoins onto Ethereum. So it's, it's utilized as, as the asset that's getting routed by these DeFi networks, which are routing risk. And in settlement, obviously, with with um, the stable coins, but you'll also notice that um, you know our first really widespread um, stable coin, which is Tether, which is routed on Ethereum, was also routed on Bitcoin as the Omni layer, yeah. and it was also routed on Litecoin on their Omni layer, and now it's also routable on Solana's network, um, and so. And I think Tron as well. So yeah, you can see how these the the underlying um, stablecoin can use any number of networks to route on. And you know, 
I could decide if I was the head of the stablecoin to say, why don't we use this network here because it's faster? Um, so it's just whether or not um, these networks gain adoption. Um, Ethereum's great because it's got that network effect of wallet infrastructure and well, development infrastructure. So it is very much a no-brainer to use that because that ecosystem is very well-developed and well-documented. So it's a platform war, I guess, and I don't think it's necessarily going to be winner-takes-all. It doesn't have that kind of um, network effect that you get with protocols. Um, protocols like TCPIP are unifications of different menageries of communication lines. And Ethereum's not a um, compatibility layer. You know, it's it's actually very much a environment that you program in and that's that and it's good for some things and there are environments that are better in other applications um so uh, i i think it's really early for this i think we've still got 10 years ahead um at least um for that side of things yeah so who knows i agree Um, all right so let's uh, shrink this down to um, a time frame that's a little bit more manageable. What do you think? I mean, I know you gave a price target for Bitcoin for this year, but what else do you think people can expect from Bitcoin in 2021? Every cycle in Bitcoin is really different. Um, there's different narratives, different underlying drivers. I'm just really excited to see how this one actually plays out. We've we've been we've been thinking this is. Um, institutionally driven, will be institutionally driven. Um, is being. <laughs> it, I, I said that, like, we thought it would be, and right now the thing is I don't actually think it is. I think it, it's it's driven by institutional um, narrative and the institutions themselves saying, yes, we, were, we think this is good and we're going to deploy but right now, I did not think that we would see so many family offices come in and just these high net worth guys coming in and buy so much. That Well, the, they can probably the price, move faster. They can move faster, yeah. And so I didn't see that would be happening. Um, and then I think we've still got um, many institutions that have not deployed yet. I think sovereign wealth will start to come in this year. Um, and then... Um, we've still got the retail guys to come in too. So right now I'm looking at it and I'm going, Bitcoin is surrounded by all sides and they all think it's sexy and they all want in. Like retail doesn't realize yet that it's sexy and they want in. Um, Institutions are getting ready. And right now um, high net worth individuals are coming in by the droves. And um, I'm not sure how it all plays out. Um, I think this, Double rally thing is is probably the most likely um, because that's an immense amount of capital to come into this tiny little asset that's not broken one trillion dollars yet. So I don't know how it will interplay. Um, I only get really a read of it up to maybe a month or six weeks ahead, um, and I have models that sort of say this thing's going to break the model if it goes past here, but. I'm, I'm like you, Laura. I'm just watching this as we go. I might have a little bit more foresight with the on-chain data, but um, I don't know how this is going to play out this year because there's so many um, things that are arriving at the same time. Yeah. All I know is I think it will be a very exciting year for all of us. <laughs> <laughs> this was a life-changing for many Bitcoiners here. Um, so, yeah. 
Yeah. And fun for me. Mm. Um, okay. Well, where can people learn more about you and your work? So primarily most of my stuff goes out on Twitter at Woonomic. Um, I, I, I like to post most of my analysis there as, as much as possible. Um, if you would like um, access to the newsletter, go to um, willywoo.substack.com. I put out a, um, a newsletter whenever the on-chain structure changes. That'll give you a bull or bear call. Um, so, And also it helps investors navigate um, uh, the, the, this, this bull cycle. So um, that's available there. You can just go to my Twitter profile and it's got a link there. And uh, finally, I put up a lot of free chats on charts.wubble.com and um, you can, you know, explore that if you're a chat person and like visuals. Great. Well, it's been so fun having you. Thanks for coming on Unchained. Thank you, Laura. It's been really awesome and fun as usual. (laughs) Thanks so much for joining us today. To learn more about Willie and Bitcoin, check out the show notes for this episode. Don't forget, you can now watch video recordings of the shows on the Unchained YouTube channel. Go to youtube.com slash C slash Unchained Podcast and subscribe today. Unchained is produced by me, Laura Shin, with help from Anthony Yoon, Daniel Ness, Vasi Vegar, Shashank, Josh Durham, and the team at CLK Transcription. Thanks for listening. 